what a joy it is. What a joy it is to be here and be part of this church. My name is Drew. If I don't know you, I'm the senior pastor here. I came to Christ for this church as a college student, full circle. The fact that I get to serve with a pastoral team and elders and a staff and with all of you in this place is just, it's humbling. It's overwhelming. It's exciting. I thank God. And as we gather in this place, as we get into God's word in a moment, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I want to remind all of us that we're in a sermon series right now called Two Truths. But we are more than just a worshiping church. We don't just worship and go. We want to be a church that worships and grows. And so in between our two morning services, we have a grow hour. How many of you, show of hands, came early to a grow? Fantastic. This is amazing. Church, you're blowing me away. You're blowing us away that you're leaning into this season, that you are wanting to grow in so many ways, not only in your relationship with God, but also with each other. And as we get into this sermon right now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that there's two truths. This is one of 66 books of the Bible. Ecclesiastes, uh, in many ways, is unlike any other book of the Bible, in which it takes a very philosophical approach to what would life look like if God, in our mind, didn't exist. And there's a phrase that's used over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's the phrase, under the the great big ball of fire in the air. It's a human perspective. It's an earthly perspective. It's a, if God didn't exist, if we're just a cosmic accident, that if there's no intelligent design, if there's no reason or purpose, then if this is all there is, if there's no more than just what we see, then it's an under-the-sun perspective. And the writer of Ecclesiastes pushes to the limits what life could look like, what play could look like, what work could look like, what pleasure could work, look like if we really believe God didn't exist. That's an under-the-sun perspective. But there's two truths. There's two perspectives. There's also an above-the-sun perspective, a from God perspective. It says that there's more than what you see, that there is purpose, there is meaning, so much more than you could ever imagine. And actually it reinvents how we eat, how we drink, how we play, how we work, how we see other people. It, it changes how we view time. And that's the theme that we have for today, a question, two perspectives, two truths. But the question is this, what time is it? What time is it? And as we get to Ecclesiastes 3, which many of you, I'm sure as this is read in a moment, a melody might come to mind. Why don't we listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what has been planted a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to throw away, a time to keep and a time to give up, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to stay silent and a time to speak up, a time for love and a time for hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's word. 
All right, so what we're going to do, thank you, Sarah, and as we get into this, as we've been doing each week, we're going to go down two different paths, an under-the-sun perspective and then afterwards an above-the-sun perspective, all under the banner of the question, what time is it? That question is so much more profound than how you or I typically ask that question. You see, I can make the case that the foundation, the root, the, the genesis of all hate and war and dysfunction in this world is because we don't know how to answer that question. What time is it? Let's first walk down this road of what time is it from an under the sun perspective as if God didn't exist perspective. Now, in many ways, we know that time is relative. We know it in our experience, but we also know through science. Uh, right now, it's 1147 on the Pacific coast. And yet, if I was to call my uncle uh, outside Washington, DC, he would say, no, it's, it's 247. Well, is it 1147 or is it 247? They both exist, they're both true. But even more than that, we also know that for some people this is 2017 and for others it's not 2017 because different cultures around the world actually measure time differently. It's a different year. We have in different cultures different New Year's. For some cultures they measure time based upon our orbit around the sun. Some people measure time based upon the moon's orbit around us. A Jewish point of view says that the day begins at sundown. Some of you think that the day begins at sunrise or at midnight. Or if you're night owls, it does begin at sunset. You see, time in our experience is, is this interesting thing, this question of what time is it? Sometimes it speeds up, sometimes it slows down just in our experience of it. But even more than that, science is beginning to tell us that time is not this universal constant. Sir Isaac Newton was the first person to say that we can't experience objective or absolute time. We can display it mathematically. Now hang with me here. This is going to get very philosophical and it's going to get very practical. That's what Ecclesiastes does. It's all philosophy and it's all practicality. But even after Sir Isaac Newton said that, Einstein, in his theory of relativity, says that even time is relative. How many of you saw the movie Interstellar? Fantastic film, right? So pushing kind of the mathematics of, of relativity, uh, Kip Thorne, an astrophysicist locally from Caltech, they, they used his mathematical equations and there's this plot line where this, this massive, massive ship is headed towards a black hole called Gargantua. And Gargantua has 100 million times the mass of the sun as a black hole. It literally, it spins at 99.8% the speed of light. It has so much gravity, so much mass, that they find that as they get closer to Gargantua, you remember those scenes as they begin to get closer to those planets, that actually time begins to slow down. And a seven-year stretch of time back on Earth is just a short bit of time on this little planet. And it's been proven mathematically that apart from God's perspective, our experience of time, not just throughout our days, but science says time is absolutely relative. In fact, the, the closer you get to the speed of light, the more time slows down. So this question of what time is it isn't just from a, you know, a chronological standpoint, not just from a scientific standpoint, but it's, but it's absolutely from a practical standpoint as well. 
Open those Bibles back up. I know some of you have them already open, but as you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the writer of Ecclesiastes, and by the way, how many of you got the melody of the bird song in your head? Is that, you know, there is a, yeah, I won't sing it today. Uh, But as it gets into this long list, how practical is this? That it's not just a time on a clock or a time on a calendar or Einstein's theory of relativity. But the question is, is how do you fill your time? When we ask the question, what time is it? It's often because we have to make a certain choice. We have to get somewhere. We have to do a certain thing. And the reality is, is though we're sharing this moment together, there's some people that will share this moment with you five years from now, perhaps, or later on this week as they listen in on the podcast. Time is such this elusive thing, even beyond that, that every single one of us brings unique experiences into this moment of time. Some of you, you come in rejoicing. It's been the best week of your life. Some of you come in absolutely mourning. It's been the worst week of your life. You've experienced different things, every single one of us. And when you look through this long list, where it says in verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, it gives this long list of being born, of dying, of embracing, of refusing to embrace. This long laundry list of things is so practical because this is the life that we live. And this great grand question of what time is it, when you think about it in a very practical standpoint, you go through this a thousand times a day. Is this the time where I'm supposed to speak up? Is this the time when I'm supposed to stay quiet? Is this the time where I'm supposed to interrupt that person? Is this the time where I'm supposed to forgive? Is this the time where I'm supposed to give up? Is this the time where I'm supposed to press in more? Is this the time where I have to stop? Is this the time where I have to go? Is this the time where I have to to actually do that hard thing that I've been regretting and pushing off for the last 10 years? Is this the time that I'm supposed to do that? You see, every single one of us comes into this moment and we experience the fullness of life and there's certain moments where we even wonder, is this the time where I'm supposed to cry or laugh? You see, under the sun, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, we experience these things, but unless we have any sort of help, we don't exactly know what time it is. As you get down to the very end, verse 8, it says, it's a time for love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. We are in the midst of this right now. On a global stage, some people are saying, this is the time for war. Some are saying, no, this is the time for peace. And those disagreements, those intersections, those varying perspectives is what's caused a gridlock in humanity. And an under-the-sun perspective leads us to verse 9. Look here, the conclusion. It's not included in that song by the birds, but it says in verse 9, what gain, some translations say what profit, other translations say what progress have the workers from all their toil. As people go throughout life, People are born, people die. People experience the highs and lows of life again and again and again, across cultures, across time, across the millennia of humanity. At the end of it all, have we progressed? I mean, yes, we have more technology. Yes, you can order things and they arrive on your doorstep within an hour. Yes, it's amazing the things that we have, but we're still dealing with the same things that people dealt with 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. We want to belong. We want to have purpose. 
We want to know why. We want to know how. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, from an under the sun perspective, there is no progress. That not only is chronological time relative, but how we experience what we do and how we fill time is absolutely relative. Last night I officiated a wedding out in Westlake Village and it was a phenomenal experience as is any wedding. But what was unique about this one in particular is that a little less than 10 days ago, the bride's family experienced one of the most tragic tragedies I could ever imagine. It wasn't an accident, it was sadly by choice. And without going into any of the details, I met with a couple uh, this past Thursday and we sat for two and a half hours. And they came into this moment, into this season, two things, bookends, as it were, of the fullness of humanity. You had the highest high, the rejoicing of a wedding and the crushing mourning and grief of a tremendous tragedy. And as we met for two and a half hours, the couple was kind of going back and forth. It was an either or. And this is where things get very practical in terms of that question, what time is it? And we sat down, we had a long lunch, and as we were talking about everything, they said, okay, on one hand, we could either just fully lean into, you know, the wedding and just kind of numb ourselves to this tragedy. Uh, we could just, just bury that, we could forget about it, and just absolutely dance and rejoice. Or, they said, we could... We could be present with this tragedy and it's so overwhelming that there's no way that we could dance and rejoice. And should we even postpone the wedding? You see, in that moment, they were looking for one truth. What time is it? To paraphrase, Drew, they asked. In this moment, do I rejoice or do I mourn? But thankfully, we live in a world where there are two truths. In the midst of this sermon series, I was able to see them in a very practical way. I said, well, what if you were to imagine Imagine this. You have to deal with the grief of this experience. You have to be present with it. As you go through that grief process, there's going to be anger. There's going to be bitterness. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be numbness. There's going to be denial. Lean into that with each other, with your family. This is very real. You, 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 you can't numb yourself to it. But that doesn't have to take away from your wedding. You hold that out there, but you also hold the fact that you have this wedding that we've talked about, we've prayed about, we've, we've been prepared for, and even your journey I share with them. Your journey is in a couple, and it's just amazing how God has been so faithful to you, and this is going to be an opportunity to give glory to God. So what if you were to hold both of those things on the table at the same time, look at those two things as two truths. The lowest low, the highest high, there's a tension between those two things. And I said, I know from personal experience that I can't hold those two things in tension on my own. You know this about your own life. You can't hold those two things in tension. You either choose one or you choose the other. It's almost impossible to do on your own. And I said, so I found that I absolutely, I get to the end of myself and I say, God, I need you. God, you have the ability to hold somehow these two things in tension at the same time, sustain me through this. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but as a couple, and especially the bride, it was like something just snapped in her mind, where all of a sudden there was this, this path forward where she was just at a gridlock. And I got to tell you, last night there were tears of grief. 
And there was the deepest laughter. It was life unfiltered. I know on social media right now, there's this thing where we add filters, right? I don't know, I don't know if we're just bored with life and, and, and we have to add filters to it. But there was something about last night that was completely unfiltered. It was completely raw. It was completely real. It was completely what you, you've experienced or you're going to experience in life. And they stepped into it and it was so rich and it was so deep. But they had an above the sun perspective. But let's get back to the under the sun perspective for a moment. Now, how many of you uh, uh, are fast drivers? Put your hands in the air. All right, all right. Uh, okay, so let, let's see. It was pretty interesting in the 8.30 service. Let's say you were to drive from Los Angeles to New York, cross country. Uh, how, many of you, you, how many fast drivers, how many days do you think it would take you? Let me just hear from you. Four days, three days? I saw two in the back. Mom, I love that. Mom is shaking her head no. I love that. What kind of car do you drive? I like that. Let's talk afterwards. All right, so let's say two, three, four days, right? That's fast. Long days. Now, how many of you are the type that you like to take your time on trips? Maybe you want to hitch a trailer to the back. Maybe you want to see a lot of things. What, what's a good amount of time to really enjoy the country to go from, from California to New York? What do you, th what do you say? Six days. Six days, three weeks. What else? 14 days. Three months? <laughs> I like that. I like that. You've got the national park passes, <laughs> New York, through Alaska. I like that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay, so either way, either way, time's relative in a sense. It's relative to the amount of time it takes to get from, let's just say, Los Angeles to New York, okay? Uh, but the reality is that you can't, as a human being, we haven't invented this technology, you cannot be in two places at once. You can't be in Los Angeles and New York at the same time, right? Correct? Correct? I mean, am I wrong here? I'm often wrong, but am I wrong in this one? No, okay, okay. Even the two-day one? You, 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 okay, okay. So, okay. However, how many of you show of hands can just, you, you can imagine generally what a map of the United States looks like? Put your hands up. A map of the United States of America. Okay. Now, okay, so I want you to uh, go with me here. Now, you look at a map of the United States of America, and I want you in your mind's eye, whether you keep your eyes closed or open, I want you to just imagine where California is, and I want you to put your, in your mind, uh, your, and some of you, you've already pulled up Google Maps, so you're already there, you're not imagining you're doing this, so put your left, left hand finger on, uh, on Los Angeles. Okay, you got that in your mind's eye. Some of you are physically doing it. I like this. It's good, participatory. Now, I want you to imagine New York. It's on the right side, okay? Uh, generally, it's not all the way up in the corner. It's not down in Florida. Generally, okay, so put your, put your finger uh, right on New York, all right? Now, in the same moment in your mind, you're touching both California and New York. You're touching both Los Angeles and New York. You're, in a sense, at two places at the same time. And the only way you can do that is because we've taken the three-dimensional space that we live in called America, We've taken it down a dimension to a two-dimensional map. Hang with me here. And you know this. You've experienced this. And because you are a dimension higher than that two-dimensional map, you were able to put your finger on Los Angeles. You are able to put your finger on New York at the same time. Now, how many of you, now hang with me still on this thought, how many of you have ever been inside a corn maze? A corn maze. 
All right, you're not from California. Uh, or maybe you're out from Camarillo. I think that's, that's where we have corn mazes. There's one out in Camarillo, Oxnard. But corn mazes, if you don't know what they are, literally you, you step into a corn maze and all you can see around you is corn. And they wait until it grows higher than what you can see. It's, it's just massive. And what they've done is they've literally, they've cut a maze out of that cornfield. You're in the midst of that corn maze trying to figure out how do I get out of this corn maze? Is this the time that I go left? Is this the time that I go right? Is this the time that I go forward? Is this the time that I go back? Is this the time that I call for help? What time is it? What do I do in this moment? Your life, in a sense, is a corn maze, and you're trying to make sense of it from the ground. And if you think that you're going to make sense of this corn maze from the ground, then you have an under-the-sun perspective. The only way you can actually see the fullness of that is to either have a map or to hop up in a helicopter, basically to see the maze from the air. You can't see it from the ground. You have to see it from the air. You have to have an above the sun. Well, that'd be really high up, but you've got to have a, an above perspective. And that's the beauty of Ecclesiastes. It reminds us that we live in a world where, yes, you could live your life under the sun, but also there's another truth. There's an above the sun perspective. There's, a, there's an aerial perspective. That yes, as we go throughout life, there's all these different seasons of life, but actually, God, because God, here's the amazing thing, you are one dimension above two-dimensional space of a map. God isn't even bound by dimension. And so you are, in a sense, living your life. You can't speed it up, you can't slow it down. And yet God, which... God's being is eternal. Wrap your mind around this. Well, actually, you can't because you're a finite being. So to wrap your mind around an infinite God is impossible. But when you try to put human language around the concept of eternity, all eternity is is an eternal now. I used to think of eternity as just like this long, 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 long thing. And it is from a ground point point of view from an under-the-sun point of view, but from God's perspective, God is in the eternal now. So God is, at this moment, from God's point of view, God is present at the, the creation of all things. God is present at the moment you were born. God is present in this moment right now. God is present with you as you go through that difficult thing this week. God is present with you at the end of your life as you step into eternity. God is present when Jesus returns again. God is in the eternal now. And here's the beauty of an above-the-sun perspective. Open those Bibles back up. Don't just hear from me, but I want you to see this. In Ecclesiastes 3, this concept of eternity, In verse 14, it says, I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything can be taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. And then later on, it says that God has planted eternity in our hearts. Okay, so I want you to imagine this. You are a finite being trapped in time, and yet God has placed eternity on your hearts. 
For you to be made in the image of God means, now, now hang with me here, that you are an eternal soul with a physical temporary body. The concept of soul is, is so complex, but it's the sum totality of who you are. It's your mind, it's your spirit, it's your will, it's your emotions. And, and under the sun perspective says, no, 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 we're a, we're a temporary body. You could say it this way, that eternally, in a sense, though you're not aware of it, you are eternally in God's presence. Wrap your mind around that. And from God's point of view, what does God say about time? And we're going to go from the very high theological, philosophical, and we're going to drive down to the very practicality of it. So open those Bibles back up. Look at, let's go to Galatians 4, New Testament here. We're going to add a little bit more than what we had time for in the 830 service. In Galatians 4, 4, somebody shout it out if you have a pew Bible and you know the number. 947. Doesn't help if you don't have a pew Bible. It's 186 on mine. We'd be in a world of trouble if you were looking for that. Galatians 4.4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians 4.4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come. Now the Greek word for time there is the word chronos. Let me hear you say chronos. That's where we get the word chronos. Chronological from, chronology, it's, it's how we as humans understand time, the ticking of the seconds, the minutes on a clock. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that they, we might receive adoption as children. Now hang there in your mind and flip backwards to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Hang with me here. We're going to get very practical in a moment. Romans 5, 6 says this, for while we were still weak. Now, before I finish that verse, imagine this, that while we were still weak, while we couldn't figure out what time it was, while we didn't know if this was the time to laugh or the time to mourn, while we were still weak, we didn't know if this was the time for peace or the time for war. While we were still weak and we didn't know if this was the time to give up or to press in. While we were still weak and we didn't know if this is where we were supposed to forgive or push stronger. While we were still weak and we didn't know if this is the time where we were supposed to en enact justice in our own hands to get revenge. While we were still weak and we thought that we had the right way while we were still weak and we were trying to make time worship us, bend to us and get in the world of a mess that we're in while we were still weak. Some translations say while we were still sinners, which means that we were missing the mark, we were aiming for the wrong thing while we were still weak. How does it finish? At the right time. Now the Greek word for time there is the word kairos. Let me hear you say kairos. It's not chronos, it's kairos. This is different than chronological time. This is different than the seconds, the minutes. This is special time. This is God's perspective time. This is ordained time. This is, this, is, this is, in a sense, when God is active in Lord over the chronos, kairos happens. 
while we were still weak, at the right chronos, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now I want you to imagine this. Under the sun, we are absolutely lost. The writer of Ecclesiastes says everything is meaninglessness. There's no progress. There's no profit. We, we don't know what time it is. And yet the eternal now that is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, at just the right time in human history, the right chronos, eternity was born to live among us, to live the perfect life, was never rushed, always relying on God, always trusting God. The kingdom of God was experienced, it was seen, it was felt. The dead were raised to life. People were given hope. The margins were brought in. People were loved and transformed in ways that the world had never seen. In the midst of all of it, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, not when we showed up to church, not when we measured up, not when we thought that we earned it, but while we were weak, while we were broken, while we were sinners, Christ died. Eternity died. The creator of the cosmos that exists outside of time chose out of love for you to sacrifice his own life. And then guess what happens? Jesus defeats death. He bursts forth from the tomb. And Jesus says that the thing that I've started, I'm going to finish. And though you're stuck in the corn maze, though you can't see the full picture, I see the full picture. Not only from my heavenly perspective, but I came and I suffered just like you've suffered. As it says in Isaiah that, that Jesus has bore our iniquities. He's carried our sufferings. He knows exactly what you're going through. And therefore, and now here's an eternal perspective. Here's an above the sun perspective. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, I want to show you this too. Romans 8. And we're going to go from there to interstellar. Romans 8, 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Let's pause there. When you suffer, there is a weight on your shoulders. There was a weight on that couple's shoulders as they got into that wedding because of the suffering, the tragedy that they had just experienced. Because you don't know what time it is, you experience the weight of wrong choices, of indecision, choices that you make, choices that you don't make, choices made for you. The Apostle Paul trusts God. He says, I can see something here. It's suffering, it's heavy, it's weighty. And he's writing it from jail, by the way. He says, but, I, but I'm going to consider God's perspective. And therefore, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Now, here's the amazing thing. Let's go from here to interstellar for a moment. Remember, the closer you get to a black hole, when there's greater gravity, time slows down. Remember that? It's Einstein's theory of relativity. Now, the Hebrew word for glory, ready for this? It doesn't mean just this bright light, chorus of hallelujahs. It's not less than that. It's more than that. Glory means heaviness, weightiness, significance, gravity. 
the closer you get to glory, the more time slows down. The closer you get to the glory of Jesus Christ, by the way, Hebrews chapter 1 says that the glory of God is displayed in Jesus Christ. That as you open up God's word, as you spend time in prayer, as you invite Jesus into your life through faith and trust in him, literally, the closer you are getting to the weightiness of glory and therefore the closer you get to eternity because eternity isn't just this long stretch of thing. Eternity is the eternal now. And try to wrap your mind around this, that as you develop this relationship with God and Jesus Christ, you reach the end of yourself and you're constantly, constantly, constantly praying and saying, God, I have no idea what to do. And I need your perspective. Is this the time I'm supposed to forgive? Is this the time that I'm just supposed to trust? Is this the time that I'm supposed to press in? And the more that you rely on God, the more that you have this heavenly perspective as you walk on this earth, the more that you're going to find yourself praying constantly. First Thessalonians 5.16 says this, that we're supposed to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing. I'm beginning to realize in my own life the weightiness of the human experience. And I know that I'm not alone. As we go through our life, we need help. And it used to be that prayer was the thing I did before dinner. Prayer was the thing I did with other Christians. Uh, and prayer was the thing that I did to end a conversation that was going on too long. Can I just pray for you? <laughs> Confessional here. You've never done that, have you? But you know what prayer is becoming more and more in my life? It is a tethering. It is an anchor to the eternal now that is God. And it's in every single moment of every single day where I find myself. I'm in the midst of a conversation. I'm in line at the DMV. I'm, I'm, I'm at the grocery store. I'm stuck in traffic. And I'm trying to just connect with God to, to say, God, I think this is a waste of time. This is such a waste of time. I'm on the 405. It's a waste of time. And then all of a sudden, God pulls me out of it and says, waste of time? This is more time for you just to be with me. More time for you to, to pray to me, to thank me, to rejoice in me. Oh, what time is it? It's a matter of perspective. And I'm telling you, an under the sun perspective is that's the waste of time. But the more I lean into this life that God invites me into, the more I want to know God's perspective, the more I realize I've got to be constant in prayer. Now, I've been doing this thing where I walk out and I say, hey, how can I pray for you? And the beautiful thing about that is I say, well, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? How can we pray for you? And this could be a moment where I say, brother, how can we pray for you? But I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to be prayed for. But I want you to be prayed for. I want you to be prayed for. Thank you, Diane. She wants me to be prayed for. I want you to be prayed for as well, and you as well, Kristen. 
If we're supposed to be a church that is a praying church and if we're supposed to pray without ceasing, I don't have the time to literally go one by one to hear every single one of your prayer requests and then have everybody pray for you. But what we can do in community, we can do so much better in community than we can do individually. And so in this moment, we can actually lean into the work that God wants us to do, which remember in Ecclesiastes, when God does a work that endures forever, we can actually do something right now that will last for all of eternity. Every single one of you could be prayed for in this moment. And it's only going to happen if every single one of you is willing to pray for somebody else. So as we continue on in this moment, and it doesn't have to be long, because I want to train us and we need to be trained that we would be quicker to go to prayer, that it doesn't have to be this thing, oh, okay, we've got to spend half an hour on this, but no, that your life would just begin to have prayer infused into it. So here's what I want you to do for two minutes. I want you to turn to somebody next to you. And it might be groups of two, it might be groups of three. Two things I want you to do. First, share your prayer request. Second, pray for each other. That's it. You can figure it out. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I will be there. I will be present. It's not the length of prayer. It's not the combination of words. But when you pray in Jesus' name, when he is your audience that you're praying to, prayer is powerful. It's effective. This is how we become more and more the church that longs, that God longs for us to be. So would you turn to those around you? Two things, again, how can I pray for you? And second, pray for each other. Go. Two minutes. God, as we thank you for this moment, as you hear every single one of us, you hear all these prayers, you have time for each of us. And God, from your eternal perspective, not only do you hear these prayers, but you see how you're going to meet us in it. So God, we trust you. In the corn maze, we thank you, God, that you've come to us and you lift up our eyes, our hearts, our perspective to see and trust in the big picture that you are involved. That time is, is on your side. That you are working together for good. All these things, as it says in Romans 8, according to your purposes. That Jesus, you tell us in scripture that you are going to be making all things new. That you have the last word. So as we are in the midst of it, God, we thank you that you're in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You could literally go back to Ecclesiastes 3, those eight verses of that great song by the birds came from Scripture. And you could actually, if you studied all of Scripture, you could actually see from God's point of view all those things. A time to kill. When is there a time to kill? It says in the New Testament to put to death your selfishness. Kill your selfishness. Kill your self-centeredness. It says there's a time for war. What's that about? The New Testament says that we don't war against flesh and blood. We don't war against humanity. We war against the principalities, the spirits. There's a spiritual warfare. Lean into that. Enter into that. When is there a time for hate? Jesus says, hate injustice. Hate bigotry. 
hates sin, hate the broken systems of this world, but, but, but when do we love? Jesus says, the law and the prophets, all of scripture can be summed up in two things. Love your God with all your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You literally could walk through all of Ecclesiastes and have an under-the-sun perspective and get crushed or have an above-the-sun perspective and be overwhelmed with joy. That's the kind of God we serve, a God filled with glory, a God that comes to us, that prays in the Gospel according to John, God, would you reveal to them the glory that I've had with you since the beginning of time? God wants to share that weight of that glory in your life. It's a weight that won't crush you. It's a weight that will lift you up, that will buoy you above anything in life. Let's pray. Loving God, as we respond in worship right now, as we ask the question, what time is it? God, would we begin to operate in your time, godly time, Kairos time, as it says in Ephesians 5.16, that we would make the most of every moment, every time, to step into it for your glory. And we want to do that practically, God, by following you, Jesus, every day and everywhere with everyone. So as we stand, as we respond in worship right now, May our lips and our lives give all praise and glory and honor to you alone who are worthy of our worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen.